Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Corinthians chapter 10, because we are going to look at the um, Old Testament a lot, but in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first 10 verses, Paul lists out all of these things that happened to the, the Jews, primarily in the wilderness, and in verse 11, he makes uh, this statement. He said, now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're going to look at a lot of Old Testament scriptures this morning, but keep in mind, these are examples for us. They, all of these things, they, they really did happen, and, and there, there were a lot, there are, for every, every event that happened in the Old Covenant, there are about 490,000 reasons that that happened that was in God's purpose and plan to get something accomplished somewhere, somehow. We don't know all of it, but we do know that we can apply every event and look, there's something in that event that applies to us and to our life. And we are going to look at, at this one character, Shamgar. And the reason that name doesn't sound familiar to you is because Shamgar got one verse in the entire Bible. And we, it, it's one of those verses you read through when you read your Bible, and it's like you just don't pay attention to it. It's in Judges chapter 3, verse 31. And it, this is listing through all of the judges. Remember, and in... Um, God called Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Once they were out, uh, Moses, because of his sin, couldn't go into the promised land. So God used Joshua to lead the people into the promised land and get them started. And when Joshua died, then God used judges. And he would use different men at different times. And, and occasionally he used women. I, I love it when, when New Testament people tell me women can never preach and they can never you know, do things in the church. Well, if God had that bad opinion of women, then you should have tell you should have told him not to write the book of Judges, because there are several women in the book of Judges that ruled over men and were warriors, and 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 fought battles and did things. God God can use whoever He wants to use, but in in chapter three it mentions one of the judges, and it it says. Uh, after him, and I don't even know who that's referring to, but after one of the particular judges was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. So this guy, Shamgar, lived during the time when the Philistines were ruling. And, and you have to understand just a little bit of, 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 of church history. Uh, during this time, the Philistines had... Uh, weapons made out of bronze. You take copper and you mix a little zinc in it, and you get bronze. And bronze is much harder than uh, stone implements. That's where we get the, this whole term, the Bronze Age. And it's it's much better than a sharp stick, which is what an ox goat is. And the Philistines guarded the knowledge of how to do that jealously. There are no natural uh, formations of copper deposits in the nation of Israel. So they didn't have access to copper, 
and they didn't have the skill of metallurgy to know how to smelt copper and add zinc to it and make this, this uh, alloy bronze that was hard so they could make sharp weapons and have swords and knives and spears that were hard and they didn't dent. Because if you've ever had dealt with copper, copper is very soft and it bends very easily. Shamgar didn't have anything, but notice it says he killed 600 men of the Philistines. Now, it doesn't describe how he killed them, what, the, what, what it looked like, but I do know this from, from the Old Testament, this pattern. Uh, everybody knows who Samson is. And Samson is very well known because Samson, well, first of all, he had a lot of, of, of verses. The story was long. But Samson had, had a great call, had a great fall, and in the end, he had a spectacular death and took a lot of the enemy with him. I get the feeling that Shamgar, when it says he killed 600 Philistines, that he probably didn't do it at one fell swoop. He didn't meet 600 men with a sharp stick and kill 600 men. Now, it could have happened that way. I don't know. The Bible's silent. But, but, but in my mind, I, I think more, um, more likely the story was Shamgar just went about systematically attacking the Philistines, and he may have caught them in groups of 1, 2, 10, 20, I don't know. But he persistently, because it says he delivered Israel, and when you deliver an entire nation, it's a process. It's not one event. It's a process. Even Moses, uh, God used him to deliver the nation of Israel. It was a process. He had to bring the ten plagues. And we have, we have a somewhat idea that it was an extended period of time, but we don't know exactly how long it took. But Shamgar had, had what I see as two secrets to get this job done. The first one, pretty obvious. He started where he was. Now, this whole, my whole theme this morning is how to overcome adversity. Because we are all going to face adverse circumstances. You, God will put people in your life that drive you crazy. Especially if you're a parent. Amen? But even friends, even acquaintances. Uh, sometimes it's just people driving down the highway that, you know, they, they got their um, driver's license at Sears Roebuck back when Sears Buck Roebuck was going out of business and going bankrupt. And they couldn't hire good teachers. You'll have adversaries and adversarial circumstances in your life. How do we overcome them? Well, we do exactly what Shamgar did. We start where we are. Shamgar was there. He had situations around him. You know, the, the, the old philosopher, and uh, I, I tried to see where this came from, uh, and there are about 500 different people that claim to have said this historically, but there's the old saying, um, wherever you go, there you are. And I know that's, that's profound, right? The, the, the moral of that little saying is, wherever I go, I'm there. And if I'm there, then my problems just arrived when I arrived. Because I bring my problems with me because most of the time I am the problem. And I know that's not, that's not encouraging, but it is. But, but I say that to say, Shamgar, I know because he was a man, he faced the same temptation we face. God's called me to do something but I can't do that. I'm not rich enough. I'm not well-spoken enough. I don't have the assets I need. I don't have the talents I need. I cannot do it. Let me give you a little secret. If you could do it, God wouldn't, God wouldn't call you to do it. God calls you to do things you cannot do. 
so that he can get the credit. Think of Gideon. Gideon had, I don't know, 10, 12,000 men in the army. And God said, no, 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 no. There's too many here. You go win the battle of this, you're going to take credit yourself. Get rid of some of them. And his first requirement, anybody that's afraid, tell them to go home. Well, he lost about 90% of his army right there. If you, if you think we can't win, then just go on home. We don't need you in the army. And then he just kept whittling them down, whittling them down, whittling them down until he ended up with 300. Why? Because he knew the 300 were in faith and were, were warriors, and they will believe that we can accomplish this, and there's no way 300 men can beat this army. So when you win, I get the credit. God's going to call you to do things that you cannot do, but when you get them accomplished because God called you to accomplish them, then he will get the credit, and that's what he wants. I've had people tell me over, I've said it to myself, Lord, I'm not capable of doing this. I'm overwhelmed. If you are overwhelmed in your circumstances, welcome to the real world. Everybody feels overwhelmed at one time or another. If you don't, you're not doing anything. If you never feel overwhelmed, if you never have the temptation to get discouraged, it's because you're sitting still doing nothing. I never feel discouraged when I'm sitting in front of the TV watching a movie and I'm engrossed in the movie. Because I watch movies because movies can distract me from the reality that I have to face. And if it's a good movie, sometimes that's good. Gina and I just watched one a couple of days ago about um, J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer, fantasy writer back in the 30s, published uh, The Hobbit and the, The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Great writer, good Christian man, led a horrendous life, hard life, but he stayed true to his faith and and God blessed him. Great movie, but while I'm watching that, I'm thinking of Tolkien's life, not my present circumstances. If I'm out here and I feel overwhelmed, I can take heart. Gina just read the scripture. These are momentary afflictions. When Paul said his momentary afflictions, remember, he was shipwrecked a couple of times. He was beaten several times. He was poor. He was broke. He was flush. He had all kinds. They stoned him one point where, I, my personal opinion, I think they killed him. And the Christians had to surround him and pray for him, raise him from the dead so he could fulfill his ministry. I mean, everybody abandoned Paul at times. And he was walking the road alone. He had the very first church split. How would you like to be that pastor? I know we look back at the book of Acts and think, well, everything was rosy back then because they were following God. They had the same problems we had. They had the same devil we had. They had the same adverse circumstances we had. But, but he started where he was. Now, the, the, the greatest example of this is Zerubbabel, and I'm going to go to Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 4. God had called Zerubbabel was one of the leaders, called him out of Babylon at the end of the 70 years of captivity, said, go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding my temple and rebuild that city. And, and it was very important because this started the prophetic clock towards the birth of Christ. Well, in Zechariah 4, Zerubbabel, the actual history of it, Zerubbabel went back. He went back with the blessings of Cyrus and with the, with the financing of the whole kingdom of, uh, of Persia, because Persia had now captured Babylon, and he went back with goods and money and the king's blessing, and he started doing it, and two years into the project, they had the foundation laid. 
which just, when I read that, it's like two years to lay the foundation. Man, I've done some activities, and after six months, I quit because I'm not seeing enough progress. took him two years just to get the foundation laid. But after two years, remember, they were in the land for 70 years. When Babylon captured Israel, they did not take every Jew with them. But they did bring unbelievers into that land and planted them there. And some of the Jews that remained intermarried with those and became the um, um, Samaritans, who the Jews later on in Jesus' day hated because they married outside their faith. Well, the Samaritans started being jealous of, of Zerubbabel right here, and they came against him, and the king of Persia pulled his, his assistants back, and 17 years later, nothing had progressed. Two years to get the foundation laid, 19 years after he came back, that's all we got done. I spent two years building, 17 years doing nothing. I guarantee you, he, he, he's discouraged. So in chapter 4, I'm going to start, the, the first five verses talk about the two trees that, that they put pipes in, and the pipes drain oil into the, the, the lampstand, the menorah in the temple. And, and um, Zerubbabel doesn't understand this. And I'm going to give you a 30-second explanation of those two trees. The, 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 the uh, light from the menorah is the light of God. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. That's what he's talking about. That is that light. The two trees are the Jews and the Gentiles in the last days, us. We are a Gentile church, but we have churches here in Indianapolis. We have them all over the country. We have them all over the world that are Jewish people by birth, Jewish people by, by culture, but they believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They are believing Jews. We are believing Gentiles, and we are those two trees pouring oil to show forth the light of Jesus, who is the gospel, the light of the world. Takes both of us. God hasn't left the Jews behind, but he's still using us too. It takes both trees. That's the, the picture that God is trying to get across to, to Zerubbabel. But this is what happens in verse 6 or verse 5. God says, Zerubbabel, do you know what's going on? And he says, I don't have a first clue. Verse 6, he answers him. He, so he, this is the angel that's speaking for God, answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The first thing God said to Zerubbabel after working two years to get the foundation laid and sitting on his rear end because he had opposition for 17 years was it's not by your power. Get this in your head. You can't do it. Give up. And once you give up, let God. Now, that does not mean you're not active. It does not mean you do nothing. But you have to know, I have to do this by God's power and by God's grace. He continues in verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? That great mountain is the opposition that's coming against the rubble. He says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, let me tell you, the, the, remember, this is right after the two trees, because good, being good charismatic or crazy-matic Christians, we have made that, that, that saying right there with shouts of grace, grace to it, a superstitious, 
thing we say to problems. Well, I just speak grace, grace to it. Don't do that. It's not, this isn't the rabbit's foot we're rubbing. What he's saying is the two trees bringing the grace of the oil, which is the presence of God. Oil always represents the Holy Spirit. It's the Jews and the Gentiles together bringing the presence of the Holy Spirit against opposition in your life for you getting something done that God's called you to do. And when you bring the Jewish and the Gentile oil, the presence of God, into that situation, then that mountain's going to become a plain. It's the grace of God. It's the power of God he's talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. Moreover, <coughs> that's pretty good. He said, but I'm just certain. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? Don't think because you don't have the ability to do something big for God that what you're doing isn't important. Every worldwide ministry that exists today started as a little local ministry. I look at the school Gina and I went to, Bible school. When we went there, it was Rainbow Bible Training Center. Now it's Rainbow Bible College. When we went, it was all, I, I was in the 10th graduating class. It was pretty good size then. I think we had like 600 students graduated with my class. But that was it. That, if you wanted to be in the Word of Faith movement, that's where you went. There was no other place in the world. Brother Hagen died, and everybody wrote it off and said, oh, Ken Jr.'s not his dad. Well, duh. That's pretty obvious. And it'll, that, that, that thing will just waste off. Today, that ministry has 253 campuses the world over. They are preaching and training pastors and workers to go out into every continent on the face of the planet. And it started with one man in the 30s driving from little bitty church to little bitty church on bald tires and, and believing God to get enough money to put gas and, and new tires or used tires but better tires on his car so he could get home. And his kids were poorly fed. They didn't have the clothes. He was dead broke just doing the best he could do. And 75 years later, it's a worldwide ministry. Just because you can't move the entire earth doesn't mean you don't start where you are and do what you, what you can. Because when you, when you despise the, the, the day of small beginnings, you're done because you have sat down and quit. It won't matter if I do this or not. You don't know what God's called you to do. You don't know where he intends you to end up. Well, brother, that works for young people, but I'm old. Well, if you're breathing, God's still got a ministry in your heart. We're going to get to, in a few minutes, part of what that ministry can be. Then, then um, that's verse 10. For who has despised the day of small beginnings? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the entire earth. What's he scanning? I, I love the New Living Testament version of that. Verse 10 says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. As soon as I read that verse, I immediately 
taught in 2 Chronicles 6.19. This is years before this. It says that the, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth. Why? To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Now this was speaking to Asa, the king of Israel at the time, or, or the king of Judah. And Asa was in a particular situation. At, at just prior to this verse in Second Chronicles, Asa had had the armies of Ethiopia and the, Arby, uh, the armies of Lubin attack him. Lubin is modern-day um, uh, Libya. And they were in league with the Egyptians, but Lubin and, and, and Ethiopia both represent desert people. And these armies were huge, and there is no way that Asa or Judah could defend against them. And so Asa went to prayer, and God said, Go out and meet them, and I will defeat them. And Asa took the army out, overwhelming odds, and they defeated them because God was with them. And then just a little while later, the armies of Israel, the ten northern tribes, came against Judah. And Asa said, Oh, I need help. We can't whip them, so I'm going to go to Syria. And I'm going to enlist the help of Syria. And God, this is God's rebuke. The very part, last part of that verse 9 says, In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. That is God telling Asa, You trusted me for this giant army. You got a much smarter, smaller army coming against you, and you went to Syria for help. What are you thinking? Well, if I got a huge problem, of course I got to go to God. But this one I can handle with a little help from my friends. No, it doesn't matter if the problem's big or the problem's little. You go to God first, and he'll show you how to defeat it. Because he's searching all over the world to find somebody that he can be strong through. And I love when it says there, whose heart is loyal to him. We think, what's loyal mean? Well, that means you stick by someone. The Hebrew word here, the root of it means someone that's in covenant with someone else. We are in covenant with God. See, covenant is usually cut between people that have disparate means. You have strengths, I have strengths. You have weaknesses, I have weaknesses. Wherever you're strong and I'm weak, I find somebody that's strong in my weak areas that I'm strong in their weak areas. We make an agreement. When, you, when somebody attacks your weaknesses, you call on me because I'm strong in that and I will come and help you. And when somebody attacks my weak areas, you're strong in that. You come and help me and I'll... Well, God cut covenant with us. Where's his weakness? He doesn't have one. Where's our strength? We don't have any. We have absolutely no strength and he has all strength. And he said, I'm still going to cut covenant with you. That's, all, that's everything that happened to Abraham when God made covenant with him. God said, Abraham, Abraham cut all the animals in half laid them out, and you would walk through it and make the uh, a figure eight pattern, which is the sign of eternity. This is eternal blood covenant. If I break this, may this happen to me. Looking at all these animals that have been cut in half and killed, it's a bloody, god-awful looking mess. And in the middle of it, God said, Abraham, go to sleep because you can't do this. And it says a smoking lamp came down and a, a fiery furnace came down. That was, a G was Jesus, and there was another being there which is the father and Jesus came and took Abraham's place and cut covenant with the father and said I'll cut covenant with you in Abraham's place and I'll come and pay the price for these people and he did 
Romans 1 says that Jesus was proved to be human by his death. Only a human can die, but he was proven to be God by the resurrection with power. He didn't just get resurrected. He came out victorious. And all of the things that he won in that resurrection, he's turned around and he said, they're all yours. They're all yours now. That's why we, we, we can't get caught up in our circumstances. But, but what is the other thing that, that, that um, Shamgar did? He started where he was, but he also started with what he had. All he had was an ox goat. An ox goat is a, is a long stick that has a pointy end, either sometimes just a wooden end that you have to sharpen every once in a while, or if you're really prosperous, it'll have a metal tip on it that's real sharp. And when your ox gets a little tired and he doesn't want to go, you whack him on the hip with it, and it pokes him, and it spurs him to go on. That's all he had. That's, that's like me taking on, because he says he killed 600 Philistines. That's a, 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 if I've got my, my uh, and Jim, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think that's about a battalion size. In other words, there's a range of, of battalions or a brigade, brigade size. About 600 men. I'm not going after 600 armed soldiers with sticks. I don't care how sharp the point is. Going after 600 trained soldiers with modern weapons against a stick. I'm going to lose. Unless God says, I'll protect you. That's exactly what Shamgar did. He took what he had and did what God told him. Same thing happened to Moses. If you look back at Exodus chapter 3, God had met Moses with the burning bush, and God said, look, I gave you 40 years in Pharaoh's temple. I've shown you how to rule from the, from the Pharaoh. Now I've given you 40 years in the desert guarding sheep so you know how to shepherd my people. Now you need to go back to the people and tell them I sent you. And Moses, being the great man of faith and power that he was, looked at God and he said, well, what if they don't believe me? He said, well, what do you got in your hand? He said, well, I got a staff. He said, well, throw it down. And he threw it down and became a serpent and Moses ran away. Great man of faith and power there. This is the same stick, though, that God said, you hold the stick out over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. Now, Moses didn't stand up and look, look at his leaders and say, man, did you see how I held that stick? It had nothing to do with the stick. It had nothing to do with how Moses held the stick. It had to do with God said to do it. I've called you to do this. I've empowered you. Take what you've got. Give it to me, and I will cause great things. Why? Because I'm looking all over the earth to find somebody that I'm in covenant with that will let me be powerful through them. We need, I read those when we prayed over the sick, those scriptures out of, out of the promises, out of Revelation, to the overcomer. And, and I, I, I swear, I do it. And I know this. I've had a revelation of this. And I still fall my, find myself crawling over into this same woe is me, ain't things bad attitude. If you are saved, this is 1 John 5, 4 and 5. If you call on the name of Jesus and you are born again, you are an overcomer now, period. doesn't matter whether you're walking on top of your circumstances or your circumstances have you buried. Your circumstances are not what that's judged by. It's your relationship with the God of the universe. 
And if you have a relationship with him, you are an overcomer. Sometimes you just have to grab your head and shake yourself and say, straighten up. I had my mama grab me that way more than once. And usually, you know what happened? I straightened up. She'd get my attention real fast. Well, that's exactly what God did. What did Shamgar have? He had a pointy stick. So he went after the Philistines. He killed 600 of them, and he delivered Israel. Now, the question for us is, what do we have? (coughs) I'll tell you exactly what we have. We have a vision. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The problem is not usually with our hope or with our faith. The problem is we don't deal with our hope. We don't have something we can put our hand on and have vision out there. This is where we're going. This is what God's called us to do. This is what God's called me to do. If I don't have a place to apply my faith, my faith is ineffective because you put faith on your hope. Without hope, nothing, faith has nothing to apply itself to. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, he went through all of the nasty things that we used to do, but now we don't do these anymore because we're saved. And in verse 14, speaking to Christians, he said, awake now you who sleep. Arise from the dead. Paul, now wait a minute. Is he talking about the resurrection at the last day? When we come back with Jesus? No, he's talking to Christians that are alive and well. When you fall asleep, it's hard to tell whether you're alive or dead. How many times, parents, when you've had little ones, do you walk into their room and you stand by that crib or that bed and you watch to see that chest move? Well, you really think they're dead? No, but you're checking because you're a parent and you want to see. You don't, it's hard to tell the difference between a dead person and a sleeping person except by the color of their skin. It's obvious when you see a dead person. First time you see a corpse, corpses are very obvious. But if you've never met one, sometimes you look at, at sleeping people, they might as well be dead to the world. In fact, if you think about it, when you sleep, you normally will dream. And your dream seems real. And it's only when you wake up that you realize, ooh, that wasn't real. I'll tell you what, Gina and I have had experiences. And this all, this is every time, and I'm not picking on my wife, but this is a great illustration. Every time it's ever happened, it's happened with her, not with me. I don't. I, first of all, I have dreams. I just don't remember most of my dreams. But I've had, in, our, in 38 years of marriage, I've had three, four times where she's had a dream where she got in trouble and I was there and I didn't help her. And every one of them, when she wakes up, she's mad at me. And she has let me know that she's mad at me. And I'm laying there in bed thinking, why are you mad at me? It was a dream. I didn't do it. Yes, you did. That man was beating me and you just stood there and watched me. It was like it was a dream, but it seemed real enough that when she woke up, her emotions were still stirred up. When we come against adverse circumstances, sometimes your emotions get so stirred up, it may be factually correct, but it's not the truth. The gospel is the truth. God says you're an overcomer in those circumstances. 
And you have to find a promise and, and, and see that promise, the actuality of that promise, and put your faith that that's where you're going and just tell your emotions, shut up. I've, I'm going to overcome this. I've had the doctor sit in his office and look me straight, straight in the eye and say, you've got cancer. I'm telling you, that will jerk you up straight. Because I watched my mama die of cancer, and it was a horrible death. When, he, when that doctor looked at me and said, you got cancer, it was like, well, I thought I had a lot of time left. Maybe I don't. But I had to get a vision of being healed. I let the doctors do what they were going to do, but I also put my faith on that condition. And I'm five years cancer-free. I, 21 years ago, I had a cardiologist after I had a heart attack sat and talked to me. you got 10 years. Within 10 years, you're either going to have a heart transplant or you'll be dead. That's all you got. I'm sorry. You have let, you took so much time because I, I was 46 years old, and I just kept telling myself, I'm 46. 46-year-olds don't have heart attacks. Yeah, they do. And I had a good one. It was like four hours after I realized I was having a heart attack before I could get to the hospital. And I had massive damage, massive damage. And the doctor said, you're done. You'll never mow your grass again. You'll never be able to work again. You'll never do anything again physically. And in 10 years, you'll either have to get a new heart from a dead person or you're going to die. That was 21 years ago. How did you make it? Because I sat down while I was still in the hospital and I went through the scriptures and I found promises from God's word and I actually made a contract. I wrote it out. This is what you say about me, God. This is what my body says. I choose to believe you. Well, have you ever backed off of that? No, I'm not. And when I realized I was backing off of it, I took my authority over my own brain and I said, no, 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 no. You're believing for help. And I'm a, I'm a walking miracle. I'm telling you that right now. I still take the medicine the doctors tell me. I let them put a pacemaker defibrillator in my heart or in my chest to help regulate my heart and be a safeguard. I do everything the medical doctors tell me. Believing in healing is not does not mean you don't believe in doctors. Thank God for doctors. If it wasn't for doctors, most Christians would be dead. We wouldn't survive because our faith is that weak. But I had to wake up. And occasionally I have to wake up. I have to slap myself and say, wake up, John. It says, arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. That's getting a vision. If you think about it, I mentioned earlier uh, um, Gideon. God had told Gideon, I've narrowed it down to 300. Now you're going to go into the Philistine camp, or the, not the, <coughs> excuse me, not the Philistines. It was the Midianites and the, the Amalekites. You're going to go into the camp and you're going to defeat them all. And Gideon just kind of, hmm, I know you called me a mighty man of valor. I know you told us what's going to happen, but I'm a little set on this. His faith is a little shaky. Judges chapter 7, verse 9. It happened. This is God has already told him. He's given him his word. He told him something very similar to what God told the 12, the 12 spies of Moses when Moses sent them. He didn't send them in to figure out if, if they could conquer the land. He sent them in to figure out what route do we take when we conquer the land. And 10 of them came back and said, we can't do this. And an entire nation, anybody older than 20, died in the wilderness. God had to bring up a new generation, and he took only took two, Joshua and Caleb, 
It was too quiet to believe God rather than what they saw. And they got to go in. Well, this is a very similar circumstance in Judges 7, verse 9. It says, It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Joshua or, or Gideon, you're already a winner. You've already won this battle. Verse 10, But, this is God talking, But, if you are afraid, go on down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. This reminds me of what happened when, God, when, when Joshua got ready to go into the land. He sent the two spies in. They went into the city of Jericho, and they met with a prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab said, what's taking you people so long? From the day you crossed the Red Sea, we have been in fear because these giants are coming against us. And we have been grasshoppers in, your, in our own sight. And the ten spies said, we can't take Jericho because they're giants and we're grasshoppers. Didn't know They didn't put faith in what God said. But this is God talking to Gideon. He says, go down into the camp and listen to what they're saying. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened, he said. Then Gideon went down with Pura, and he came up to an outpost. And he says, the Midianites and the Amalekites, this is verse 12, all the people of the east were lying in the valleys as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companions. And he said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. And basically, this guy just relates his dream, and he says, I don't understand what this means. And his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the sword of Joash, the men of Israel. And to his hand God has delivered the Midian and the Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the enemy saying, Gideon's gonna Gideon, God's gonna come in and deliver us all from from uh, through Gideon. Then Gideon got faith in what God said. Keep in mind, you go to Hebrews. Um, chapter 11, verse 32, about the, the heroes of faith. It says, And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. He's in the heroes of faith. God told Gideon what to do. Gideon didn't have great faith in that. So God said, Well, go down and listen to your enemy. And the enemy's account of their fear of Gideon gave Gideon faith that what God said was true. Point to God that we just believe God for what he said. That's where we ought to be. Deal with what you have. What do we have? We have God's Word. I've already read it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of not seen, of things not seen. Listen to verse 2. For by it, by this faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. For by faith we understand that the worlds were framed. Notice New King James, that is plural. It doesn't mean the planet Earth. It's the Greek word aeon, which is always translated everywhere else in the New Testament, ages. I don't know why they wanted to translate it a physical world because people think of the planet Earth. It's not. It says, by faith we understand that the ages, what ages? The ages of the elders that they're going to talk about. These ages were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of the things which are invisible. God gave a word to each of these elders 
He spoke to them and said, this is your calling. This is what you're going to do. They mixed their faith with what God said, and they changed their circumstances. They changed their world, and by that they obtained a good testimony. They all had problems, but they used the weapons they had. What was the weapon they had? They had their faith. They had their faith in what God said. Sometimes, like Gideon, they had to have it reinforced, and God will, will more than meet you if you need your faith reinforced. Just be honest with him. Say, Lord, I'm a little shaky on this. I know your word says this, but I'm just not real strong in this. He will not rebuke you. He will strengthen your faith. Paul said in Ephesians 6, talking about the armor of God, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The, the armor, there's only one offensive weapon there. It's the sword, and it's the word of God. It's how we fight against circumstances and the devil. Notice what he says in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul's referring to primarily their preaching the gospel to sinners, but he's also talking about speaking against his circumstances. Paul, he, he said it. This is part of what Gina read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 13, it says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. What do you believe? You believe the word. And if you believe the word, you've got to speak it. You can never defeat the enemy by your thoughts. I love it. The world always says, well, tell so-and-so we're thinking about him. Well, whoop-de-doo, what does that do? <laughs> now, I will also tell you, because I've, I've had some, some of these complaints thrown to me in, uh, in, in Facebook, where, where our prayers, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. Well, thoughts that aren't prayed, thoughts that aren't spoken are worthless. But when you pray for someone, it does change things. And I've had people say, especially around this whole issue of gun control, which I could give a rip what anybody thinks about gun control. That's not my point. My point is anybody that can say you need to do more than pray does not know the power of prayer. The world has been changed by the power of praying God's word. It's the greatest, most powerful weapon we have in the universe. Getting yourself in agreement with God and saying, God, I believe you, and I'm going to speak your word to this mountain, and just like you said for Zerubbabel, this mountain will become a plain. Jesus himself said it. If you, if you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, this mountain will, will be cast up and thrown into the sea, it shall be done for you. Do you believe his word, and are you speaking his word? If you're not, you're going to go down to defeat every time. We have a voice. Paul said it again, Romans 10, verse 6. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Faith unspoken is worthless. Doesn't change you, doesn't change your circumstances. E.M. Bounds, e. Bounds said this. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. 
a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Prayer is not a chore. It's a privilege. My God, we have the Word of God, the being that created the entire universe. He said, not only have I recreated you, I have set my own spirit inside of you. I have given you my Word. If you believe it, say so. And if you say so, something will happen. Well, that's that name it and claim it. No, that's faith. That's faith in action. 1 John 4, 5, we've already read it. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. Verse 4 said, we're not of the world. We overcome them because the greater one lives in us. That's the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we speak. I want to finish with this. It's Os- Oswald Chambers. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Power is the greater, or prayer is the greater work. So I think it was C.S. Lewis. I didn't write this down, but I read it earlier. He said, the, 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 and this is, a very, this is not a quotation, this is a rough translation. He said, prayer, the point of prayer is not to change circumstances, it changes you. But when God can change you, your circumstances will change. But the point isn't that you're in control. The point is he's in control. I'm just getting in agreement with him. And when I get in agreement with him, I take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and I apply it to my circumstances. I apply it to the devil who's trying to attack me, trying to take me out, trying to keep God's will from being manifested in my life. And if I resist him, he has to flee. But my resistance always has to be verbal. If I'm not speaking it, it doesn't count. I cannot win a war by believing I got a gun. You can back me up with a 1,000 M16 fully loaded, extended clip, fully automatic, and you can come at me with a BB shooter, and if I stand here and look at those weapons and say, I got guns, I got guns, I got guns, but I never pick the gun up, a BB shooter can defeat me. That's all the enemy's got, the BB shooter. And I've got weapons, but I have to pick them up and use them. That's what the Word of God is. It's my weapon. I've got the Spirit of God to show me what I, what I this is what you're called to do. And when the circumstances are beating my brains in, and I'm thinking this will never work, this cannot work, then I have to take my mind and go back to the Word and get my mind centered on the Word and start speaking the Word, start declaring the Word, and start saying this is what's going to happen because God showed me this, and God says it's mine. And if I will declare it, God will back it up. And believe me, there ain't nobody going to resist Him. Nobody can resist Him. He's already conquered everything that there is to conquer. Amen? Now, here's my challenge. We're going to close with this. My challenge is, we've all got circumstances. We've all got things that are coming against us. I don't even have to ask. If you're alive, you know, my my old saying is, check your heartbeat. If your heart's beating, then God's not done with you yet. Well, there's another part of that. If your heart's beating, the enemy's attacking you. It's just part of life. And whatever area he's attacking you in, 
go to the scriptures. Ask God. He says you, you have not because you've asked not. Or you ask and you ask amiss because you want something just to, to, to feed your flesh. Go to God and say, Lord, I can't handle this circumstance. I'm just like Zerubbabel. I got a good start. I about spent 17 years doing nothing because I've been discouraged and I quit. And God will look at you and say, don't worry about it. I got your back. But now get up and start speaking to your mountain. And he will give you verses. He will show you where to go. Now, you have to get in the Bible. You have to read it. You have to learn it. You have to understand it. Well, I just don't do very well. Just start. Start where you are. Grab something. If you don't know anything of the Bible, start with Romans 1, 1 and go to the end of Jude and just read it. Read it. And when you come across a verse that answers your problem, just stop and say, Lord, that's exactly what I need. Reveal this to me. Give me a vision of this scripture. Show me how this applies to my life and get practical about it. And then start declaring, Lord, you said this is mine. So I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to start speaking this scripture. I'm going to start speaking this and saying this is mine. And your head will tell you you are totally crazy. They're going to put you in a locked ward. You are nuts. You can't speak for God. I bear to, to, to differ. God is speaking for you. You're just agreeing with him. Well, you think you're pressuring God. No, I'm saying get in the Word and find out what God's already said. That's the word of faith. Find out what he's already declared. When you find out what he's declared, just tell yourself, it doesn't sound possible, but you're going to agree with it. And then tell your brain to shut up when it just argues with you. You know, you have to treat your own mind like you treat a bratty child. Sometimes you just have to grab them and say, shut up. And if they won't, you clap your hand over their mouth. Now, I know that sounds brutal. Our daughter's a, a, a teacher in kindergarten and, and other preschoolers. And when she was in London, she had a kid that came to her class. And this, I mean, literally, this is a four-year-old, five-year-old, something like that. Every time they let him go, he'd run out the classroom door, down the hall, out the door. And there were times they caught him blocks down the road because he was fat. He's going home. He's not staying at school. She carried that little beggar on her hip like you do a toddler. For six months, she carried him. Because she could not put him down. Me, I'd just tied him up. I'd have hog tied him, stuck him in the corner. That's probably why I don't keep cheap skills. <laughs> but she did what she needed to do. She couldn't control him any other way, so she just hung on to him. You need to do the same thing with your own mind. Paul said, taking every thought captive to the word. When your thoughts want to run against the word, tell your thoughts to shut up and start declaring the word. And you declare it, and you declare it, and you declare it until you see it. And when you win one victory, then it's like, wow, this works. Don't quit. Or if you found that you've quit, just repent, get back on your horse, start riding a little more. Because the circumstances have to bow to God's word. They don't have a choice. You do not have a choice. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person 
at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.